0: The story you're about to hear was told to me in the strictest of confidence. Certain names, dates and locations have been changed to protect that confidence. Events that feature in this story may be part of the public record. If you believe you recognise any of the people, places or events that appear in this story, I ask you not to reveal any information publicly, out of respect for the subject's right to remain anonymous. listening to the new ghost stories podcast where we delve into the new ghost stories archive to hear witness accounts of the supernatural stories that could be delusions lies fantasies or perhaps even the real thing just don't make your mind up until you've listened hello
1: and welcome back to the podcast Today I'm coming to you not from the New Ghost Stories' quote-unquote studio, but from one of London's many outer suburbs. It's a place I'm actually quite familiar with. When I do research for New Ghost Stories, I always try to visit the locations I write about where possible, pandemics, strikes and other crises permitting. It's always my goal to see if a subject's story makes sense when you actually take into account places' geography to see if they could really get from one place to another in the timescale they suggest, or if they can really see so far from one location to another, and so on. I also just want to get a sense of a place, to try and understand what it was like to really be there when something utterly extraordinary took place. Of course most places inevitably disappoint. Occasionally a subject's story will take place in a location that looks genuinely unsettling or has an atmosphere that somehow feels uncanny. But the reality is, is that most hauntings take place in locations which are quite ordinary. Places you and I walk past every day without paying them any attention. What's slightly different about the location where today's case took place, for me at least, is that it's somewhere that during the investigation I realised I knew quite well. I remember being quite shocked to find it took place here and it's not so far from where I live today I still sometimes go past here we've had public spaces on the podcast before places that I know well Liverpool Street Station jumps to mind but it's different when it's somewhere quiet and innocuous somewhere you expect to be safe even though I've been doing this for some years now I haven't become so jaded that I don't still get freaked out every now and then. This isn't a very remarkable street really, although it is now in a part of London that's considered to be up and coming, a place where, at least for now, house prices are going up and the kind of people who helped it to become up and coming are starting to find that they can't afford to live here anymore. The building I'm looking at was redeveloped some time ago, perhaps 30 or so years back, and turned into a block of flats. It's certainly not the same building that the subject visited years ago, judging by the old photographs that I've seen. I wonder how the people who live here now would feel if they were to know this story, and what happened to the people who came to live here before them. Perhaps it would make them feel uncomfortable. Perhaps it would explain some strange and unexplained things that they've experienced. But then, buildings built on top of bodies is nothing new. It's one of the classic clichés of horror stories, where the hauntings are caused because the house was built on an ancient burial ground, holding the bodies of the disrespected people who once lived there, as if every town and city isn't built upon generations of the dead. Even today, as they dig up London for new underground tunnels, they keep finding new plague pits, bodies buried on top of bodies, the unremembered population of the city, buried quickly, cheaply, and then forgotten. What these cliched stories are really about is injustice, stories where we acknowledge that the homes we have, the lives that have been built for us, have often come at the expense of others. One set of people comes in, exerts their power, emphasizes their needs and forces another set out. Injustice is at the very heart of today's story. It takes place in a different time where the politics were different, but the issues are still very much present today. It's about people who live differently and want to change the system and what happens to them. You might see it as a metaphor A metaphor for what happens when the system strikes back. These flats, the ones in front of me, they don't look in the best of shape. The architecture is dated. They look a little drab. And surely you could get a couple more floors on top? House prices in this area alone are up 6% on last year. I wonder how long it will be before the people who live here find themselves forced out, either by the cost of living in the area because the group who own the building sees the potential for more more homes, more floors and more money I wish them luck if they want to stay history isn't kind to those who stand in the way of progress and profit but for now it's fairly quiet people are just going on with their lives happy with a roof over their head perhaps they aren't worrying too much about forces that may be gathering against them and the bodies that already lie beneath them. Welcome to Season 3 of the new Ghost Stories podcast. This is case number 200. It's called Opening Doors, and you can hear it in full after these messages.
0: Before we begin, I'd just like to ask a little favour. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate it if you'd take a moment to rate and review the show, it really helps people to find the podcast, and that in turn makes it easier to produce more episodes in the future. Thank you. And now, onto the story. I think we met in 78. Actually, it could have been 79. It was at some house party, probably at another squat. Not sure what Evie saw in me. I know what I saw in her. She had some real assets. Although I didn't look too bad those days myself. Bit less padding around the middle. She was an activist. A proper campaigner type. She was talking to me about this march for social workers. Winter of discontent stuff. These are the valuable people in our society. The people who care for the sick. Who look after the elderly and the vulnerable. What the government is doing to them is a disgrace. I wasn't that much into the revolutionary activism business. Sure, I hated Thatcher like everyone else. But I was mostly bumming around back then. Didn't really care about anything. Didn't really do anything except smoke fags, sniff glue and get plastered. But I thought she was sexy. So I made out like I was outraged by union worker pay freezes and wanted to come out in solidarity with the working masses, and so on. Things we did back then. I went on that march. Couldn't have given a toss about nurses, or social workers. I just wanted to get off with her. I even made my own little banner, just to show her. I used to paint houses with my cousin. I was sleeping on his sofa, He had a basement in South London. He used to go out with this wiry bitch. She wanted me out. I was supposed to be saving the money for it, but I was spending it down the pub or with dealers. So I promised to paint her house. Evie's, I mean, not that other bitch. But it wasn't her house, it was some kind of shelter for... I think it was either for drugs or for the homeless. I made out like I was some kind of ace-builder-worker-craftsman. But I only just about knew how to hold a roller and clean my brushes. I had to steal the paint from my cousin's dad. And the brushes. I must have done something right, because by the end of the month we were fucking. She was living in a bedsit-in barns. Used to cycle over there. But she wasn't some street kid like me. She was from a proper family. A heart of England home county's lot. But she'd rebelled. She was against her bourgeois upbringing. Down with the toffs. She wanted to fight the class struggle. She wanted to live with the common people. And sleep with the common people. Like me. Of course, as soon as I got my hands on her, and all over her, I tried to move myself in. Steve and bitchface were on at me to move my stuff out, so... And this is what I was always doing back then. I tried to move myself into hers. That didn't go down well with the housemates. I mean, they were all lesbians. She said that wasn't on, so I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. But she had a plan. She wanted to go where the action was. Take the fight against society to the next level. She said we should move down the Villa Road. That was one of the squatted streets in Brixton where the real radicals lived. Now those guys, they are on their own planet, doing their own thing. I like the idea of a squat because I wouldn't have to pay rent, but this lot thought it was the trigger for bringing down the whole establishment and setting up the socialist state. It was a fucking nut touch. Down one end of the street you had Marxists arguing with Trotskyists who were battling with Leninists who were setting up a committee to meet the demands of some other stupid committee they'd set up the week before. Then down the other end of the street you had the primal screamers, the birds who screamed at each other to unlock the hidden instincts of the mind and unlock their emotions and stuff. That's what the women thought anyway. Us blokes thought they were well dirty. They'd get seduced into going over there. The guys on the opposite side of the road had a telescope on them until the screamers found some thicker curtains. The guys on the opposite side of the road had a telescope on them until the screamers found some thicker curtains. I mean, look, you know, they were good folk underneath it all. I mean, they were mad, but they cared about each other and about other people, and they'd help each other out. This is what people don't understand. They were like a family. For people who had nowhere else to go. People who had nothing to do, nothing to really live for. No hope for much of a future except the dole or some fucking job picking up litter or sweeping streets. Go somewhere like villas, they'd at least give a shit. Not like the council or the fucking police. It was a bit much for me back then. I was dumb as two short planks and even Evie started to get a bit bogged down by it all. I don't think she'd much time for all this political guff and philosophising. It's all very well for them and their talk, but people out there need help now. There are people suffering out there and they don't need talk. Be honest, I don't think she really understood it. Not that I did either. Still don't. Couldn't tell you the difference between Trotskyists and Leninists and whatever. She was pretty headstrong. She wanted her own thing going on. They'd been set up there a while, so there was all this stuff that had gone on without her. She was a bit territorial, bossy. Probably why she liked me. I mean, I'd just go along with anything. The thing that really made us think whether we wanted to be there or not was that we were supposed to, no, expected to sit in front of a committee to discuss our relationship, our pairing, and what it meant. They did not approve of the family unit. Ties forced down upon us from the capitalist society. We had to find our own meaning in our relationships. We had to discuss our feelings and how we intended to live and... I don't even know what they thought we were going to say. But I wasn't having any of that shit. That was the one line I drew. I wasn't going to go and talk about what me and Evie got up to in front of a bunch of professors, feminists and perverts. No fucking way. She's gone for a while, and then suddenly she shows back up and says I need to pack my things. She's found a place. Some new place. I'd been stoned all afternoon, but I got my stuff together and headed after her. She told me she'd bumped into this old mate of hers, Kieran, and he was about to take over a new squat. He was going to do it with some friends who were about to get booted out of their squat, but they'd managed to fight the council off, so they were staying. I don't know if Evie talked him into still doing it, or whether he decided just to do it anyway and get her to go along. Either way, there was another bloke about, and I wasn't letting him move in on my territory. He'd managed to pick the locks of this place that was risky. If you were caught breaking and entering, then the police could have you arrested. But if you got in unnoticed and set yourselves up there, then you could claim the squatter's rights. That's how it worked. The crowbar was the squatter's tool of choice. They were kept like treasure at the villa road. Some of them hung above them like swords on the wall. But the risk was, was that they were noisy so if the neighbours or some busybody heard you, you could get caught. They also damaged the doors pretty bad, but they were quick. They got you in fast. What you wanted to do then was barricade the place, stop anyone else from coming in. For that, it was better to pick the locks because the damage wouldn't show and you had a chance of keeping the doors together. You changed the locks eventually, but it was the first few days where you had to be careful. Do anything you had to, to keep the place locked down tight. Evie kept going on about how this place was amazing. We can use it to set up a proper centre to help the community. Give people time and let them see how we're just doing good things to help vulnerable people. How could they complain about that? When you broke into an abandoned council place, they'd do everything they could to put you off. They tear up the floorboards, pour concrete down the toilets. Seriously, I'm not making this up. They pull out the pipes and wrench out the wires just to stop you from setting up there. They'd rather these places fell to bits and lay empty rather than let people who needed somewhere to live use them. This place was spotless floorboards, toilets, pipes, plugs, it was all there. Made me think there had to be something sus about it. When I got there, I found there's something she'd forgot to tell me. This place was a factory, four floors, newly done up. I thought, hang on a sec, girl. There's no way this is going to work. This place couldn't be abandoned. The plaster on the walls was new. It just needed decorating. Same with the floors. They just needed carpeting over. I said to her, this was chancing it a bit, wasn't it? This wasn't a derelict. The owners would probably be around in the morning. That's when this Kieran shows up. He's short and really pleased with himself. He's a squatting pro. He knows his business. He's a bloody vegan. This place has been boarded up for over a year. It was being refurbished, but then the refurbishment stopped. He thought the company had gone bankrupt. But then he checked the registry. They seemed to still be in business. Maybe they'd just run out of money. But here it was. This pristine, fixed-up building lying empty. Everything we could need. Bogs, kitchen, even space to park. It was only the upstairs where the electric hadn't been connected up. Everything else was as good as you could hope for. This was going to be the community centre Evie always wanted to rule. Her kingdom where she could help the poor, the sick and the needy. And provide a creative space for artists and poets and writers. The perfect hippie commune. Not intellectual bullshit, besides the poetry. It was a place just to help people. That was her theory. If you just did good, then people would get it. They would listen. You didn't have to shove Trotsky or McLuhan down their throats. I wasn't really thinking about any of that though I wanted to know who this prick Kieran was and what he wanted they'd done marches or soup kitchens or something together in the past he was shorter than me and a ginger but he was pretty well built I figured if I was going to take him I'd have to be faster I was quite thin I could throw a punch but didn't have the weight behind me bit of a ducker and a weaver me that's how I'd take him. I sure what part he wanted to play in Evie's new society, but they were pretty pally. He was fitting bolts to the door. Now we were in, we had to stop anyone else getting in. The windows were already boarded up. It was the other doors we had to be careful of. Anyone with a key could get in. Kieran was keeping the lights off in case we were spotted. He said we should get bolts onto the other doors, and start nailing them closed in the morning. Kieran was keeping the lights off in case we were spotted. He said we should get bolts onto the other doors and start nailing them closed in the morning when we didn't have to be so quiet. Evie kindly hands the bolts over to me and tells me to do it. I didn't want to leave them alone, but even I was thinking we were onto a un. This was like a mansion compared to most squats. There was no furniture and just concrete floors and lots of dust all over the place. While Evie was thinking of helping the poor, I was thinking we could use this for gigs, find an old pool table and do it up. Could have skittles in the hallway. Kieran wasn't planning on spending the night, which was a bloody good job. His gear was still at his old squat, so we were there to look after the place while he got his stuff together. This was too big a place for him to look after on his own, which is why he got us along. It was only really the front door, back door and a fire escape. I screwed on the bolts as hard as I could. We'd have to board them up, but couldn't make that kind of noise yet. I don't think we had any boards anyway. Evie went around and checked the windows upstairs with her torch. It was the end of summer, so it wasn't that cold yet, but it was starting to get cold. We set up in the room near the boiler. It was probably meant to be some storage closet. But it was better to sleep in to keep us warm. It was just behind one of the kitchens. We didn't have mattresses and it was fucking uncomfortable. Nothing happened that first night. And if it did, we didn't hear it. Evie went skipping that first morning. No, I don't mean jumping. Going to skips to find stuff for the factory. Alone. It's because I didn't bloody want to get up. So I was left on guard. After a while I started to wander around. We didn't have any food except cornflakes and half a loaf of bread, no milk. I wandered upstairs to see what it was like. I hadn't been up there before because it was dark. It was still dark but some light was getting in around the boards on the windows. There were no fittings up there, no kitchens or bathrooms, just empty rooms, except for this one that had old paint cans and a few planks of wood and some unused boards. That's what they'd left after they boarded the place up by the looks of it. I milled about a bit more when I heard a door close. I was supposed to be keeping a lookout. If that were the police, we'd have been busted. I prayed it was Evie, although she would have given us a proper earful. I got downstairs and everything was still airtight. No one was about the place. I checked all the other doors and the windows. No one was about. Everything was locked up. I just thought I'd imagined it. Evie did make it back soon after. She knocked on and I let her in. She was with Kieran. They had a whole bunch of stuff tied to a wheelbarrow. She had sofa cushions for us to sleep on. She picked them off a sofa left on the pavement. I mean, they were clean enough. The sofa had been broken, but these would be good enough to sleep on, she thought. Kieran had his toolbox with him, so it was time to start getting things fortified. They'd found some planks in a building site skip. I said I'd seen some stuff in a room upstairs and straight away, Evie starts having a go at me for not bringing them downstairs for the two of them to look at. I've been doing nothing all morning when I could have been helping. The bit that really got to me was when Kieran grins at me all knowingly, like as if he's thinking, typical Kev, like he actually knows me he decides to go with me to get the stuff, not that I needed his help. Problem was I thought the stuff was on the second floor, somewhere just right of the stairs, but when we went up there we couldn't find the stuff. It was pissing it down outside so we weren't even getting any light either, so we went up another floor to see if he could find the stuff there. Turned out all the paint stuff was on the top floor and on the left side of the door. Now I can forget stuff sometimes, but I don't think I even ever got up that far. Yet suddenly all the paint and junk is up there. I hadn't been drinking. I was dying for one, but I wasn't out of my head or anything. It just seemed weird then. Now it it really freaks me out. Later, when I was nailing planks over a fire exit, Evie comes over and says, Did you just hear a door bang shut? She thought she'd heard someone come in but I'd not heard anything, or seen anyone walking around except for the three of us. I got my orders to go on a special job in the afternoon. I got sent to the post office to get a photocopy of the squatter's notice. We had a blank one that Kieran had lent from one of his mates' copies of the squatter's handbook. I made sure I got it quick and got back to the factory in case he was going to try something with Evie. But he was just playing with wires and shit seeing if he could get the lights on upstairs, but with no luck. We got the notice up outside, round the back. They felt really good about getting that up, but it was just a piece of paper. I couldn't really see how it was going to stop the pigs from turfing us out if they wanted to. But apparently they couldn't. Kieran didn't hang around in the evening, which was good. Evie had gone shopping before the shops closed and we had some baked potatoes and beans in the little kitchen. The gas wasn't connected but we had a couple of little camping stoves. Evie was feeling too tired for any action so I went down the local for a couple while she slept it off. Played a couple of games of pool and almost got in a fight. When I get back later, Evie's all in a panic. She's heard someone upstairs, heard footsteps and doors closing. I pick up a plank of wood with a nail in it and grab a torch and lead the way up there. We go up all four floors, go over each one room by room. We don't find anything, but she's a bit spooked. I tell her something must be loose somewhere, like a board or something on the roof maybe. She's not so sure. She's sure she heard footsteps. She's still not in the mood, so we go to sleep after. But during the night, I think I hear something too. Evie stirs, but I don't wake her. I get up and walk quietly into the kitchen. I stand there and listen carefully for a few minutes. But I hear nothing. We had to go sign on the next day. Gave the new squat as our new address. That felt pretty good. I wasn't really spooked out by the noises at that point. But I had promised Evie I'd go round and check all the boards and all the windows and all the floors make sure they're all tight and not loose. I hammered in a few nails, but everything was pretty secure. Kieran moved in his stuff that day, room next to ours. He was on my turf and he thought he was there to stay. He and Evie were going to go skipping that afternoon, but I stepped in and stopped that happening. I wasn't going to be wandering around in the dark while he and her went off together. She was annoyed about that and that's when I knew there was something going on. She said I should be spending the time painting because that was my job but I could have done that at any time. And anyway, it would have made more sense if me and him went out because we could carry more. Not that I wanted to go out with him but you know, it would have made more sense that way. She said she wanted to show him around some good sights she knew but she also knew why I was getting all narky. She knew I knew she wanted to show off in front of him. So she stopped arguing rather than let me make a big show of it. She was grumpy all afternoon after that. Kept snapping at me. I kept trying to dig at her about him. Didn't you want to spend your afternoon with me? Rather spend it with the ginger, would you? Stop being so childish, she'd say to me. Perhaps I should have let him have her. Let her boss him around the way she used to boss and nag at me. I wonder if that would have changed anything. We spent the evening sewing blankets and shit together. That ponce knew how to sew too. I was supposed to go see my mate Byron, but I didn't want to leave the two of them, especially as she was pissed off at me. We heard noises that night too. Sounded like doors closing. We got woke up by the sound of a door slamming. Evie had another go at me, saying I hadn't checked all the windows properly. Can't rely on you to do anything, can I? I told her I sodding had checked them all. All four floors. I'd been and checked them all. Whatever it was, it wasn't because of the windows. She made me go up and check all the floors again. Didn't see what the point was. If anyone had got in, they wouldn't be hiding, would they? They'd be grabbing us by the ankles and dragging us out. So I went upstairs on my own with a torch. That Kieran didn't seem to have heard anything. He was busy snoring his head off. I went upstairs and I checked every floor. There was nothing going on. Place was dead. It was weird though because by this point I'd been up there a fair few times. But I never got used to it. I never knew my way around. It was dark, yeah, but it it was always different. The stuff you recognise, like certain coloured boards over the windows or missing floorboards or dented doors, they never seemed to be in the same place twice. No matter how many times I went up there, I could never tell one floor from the other. And then when I was checking out the third floor, a door slammed shut behind me. For a moment I was shit scared because I thought someone must be in that room behind the closed door. I went up to it really slowly and opened it. There was no one in there. It was the only way in and out. Windows were boarded shut. They'd not been opened. Didn't know what to do about it. And I didn't tell Evie when I went downstairs. Told her I'd seen nothing. I didn't know what was causing the doors to slam. I thought maybe it was the neighbours. We had offices on one side and houses on the other. Who knows what was going on in there? But I wasn't thinking it was anything paranormal. Not then. There were people sniffing around the next day. Evie heard them outside and we managed to get a look at them through a gap in one of the window boards upstairs. They looked like workmen. Maybe they were security. People paid to have these sorts of places looked after. But security guys usually did bugger all. Just looked to see if the place was still standing once a month. Perhaps they'd spotted the poster. Didn't try any of the locks, so we didn't get worried much. By this point, me and Evie hadn't done it for over a week and I was getting pretty wound up. I didn't like this situation, her, me and him. He was changing her. He was a vegetarian, so we were always eating salads. He didn't drink, so suddenly she was cutting back on the red wine and lager. And we couldn't eat this thing because it was from South Africa, and we couldn't eat this because it was from Argentina, and not this because it had too many chemicals in it, as if I couldn't tell what was going on. He was the high prince of squatters and hippies and activists, and she was trying to kiss up to him. She was following him about and asking him how to do everything, even though she probably knew all the stuff anyway. I was just getting sick of it. We were painting all day, so she ought to have been asking me what I thought. Not trying to get to know what he thought, I was the bloody painter. That day I really fancied a curry. I don't know why, but I always loved to have a curry. And Eva used to enjoy having them with us too. The one I brought it up, she was all, "No, me and Kieran are going to go around the supermarkets and take all the expired food out the bin. It's a scandal how much gets thrown away when it's perfectly edible." No, I don't mind living in a squat and lifting furniture from tips, and even living in a house with beggars and drunks and sluts. But I draw the line at lifting food out of bins like a tramp. I mean, for fuck's sake, we weren't paying for rent. We had our dull money. We could afford a fucking curry. I just flipped out. Jesus, it was doom my head in now. Couldn't I just relax and have a curry without having to wonder whether it was made with South African nuts or chemical coconut milk from Rhodesia or whatever? I had to go out for a couple of pints and calm down and relax. That place was four floors big, but it was too big for the three of us. I knew what was going on. She found the perfect hippie partner, and I was on the way out. I knew it. I could see it. I got back hammered at about one in the morning, and Evie was still up. Where have you been? I've been out drinking South African wine and eating Argentinian fascist junta steaks and wiping my arse on pages of Das Capital. She didn't even roll her eyes. I can hear noises upstairs again. There are footsteps. I definitely heard footsteps. I wasn't having any of that. Get your bloody ginger lover onto it. I'm going to bed. I just dropped straight into bed, but I didn't get two seconds of sleep when I heard her scream. I staggered out of bed and I go up there. She's upstairs and I can hear her running about. I meet her on the stairs running down. The doors are slamming shut on their own. What are you talking about? I went looking and suddenly the door slammed shut behind me. And then, when I went to look at it, another door slammed shut behind me. Someone's up there, someone's up there. Where's Kieran? I ask. I don't know, I went to his room and he wasn't there. Ugh. Give me a torch. I went back downstairs, found myself a piece of wood to use as a bat, picked up a better torch and went on up there. I kept Evie behind as I went searching again. I don't even know what I'm looking for. I was too busy getting annoyed about those two to think about the strange stuff upstairs. But I went about again. I searched each one of the floors, bit by bit, seeing if there was anything there. But there was nothing about, again, just as I told her there wouldn't be. Someone's hiding here, said Evie. But where are they going to hide? place was empty. There's no stuff for them to hide around. I banged my stick on the walls and doors and shouted, If there's anyone up here, you better get the fuck out now. But we didn't find anyone. place was just as empty as when we moved on in had to be someone. Doors don't just slam on their own, she said. Could be the wind. Wind from where? I don't know. It happened to me the other day when I was up there. You never said. Why didn't you say something? It was just a door shutting. it's no big deal. There's something not right about this place, she says. Well, you chose it, I says and I go off to bed. I sleep for a couple of hours. But she keeps waking me up. There it is again, she keeps saying. I tell her to give it a rest. It's just some noises, that's all. Doesn't mean anything. Next day though, Kieran still isn't about. And Evie's worried because she doesn't reckon he'd just take off like that in the middle of the night without saying something. I could barely pretend to care. He's his own guy, he don't have to tell us what he's up to all day and night. I tried to tell this to Evie, but she just kept having a go so I kept my mouth shut after a while. She's got it into her head that his disappearance has something to do with all the strange shit that's going on in this place. That someone has come in and got to Kieran. Well, That makes no sense and I tell her so. No one has been in and out of this building except us. All the doors and windows are banged up tight. No one has come in and kidnapped Kieran. Makes no sense. Later, she has to go to the phone box and call up some of his other friends and old housemates. She's really worried. I try to be nice and say he'll turn up and that he's a grown man and he can look after himself. She takes it bad and says I just don't give a shit. It's all dead tense after that. We're trying to change the last of the locks, which Kieran was supposed to do but neither of us is very good at it and we're getting on each other's nerves and the banging upstairs keeps happening randomly neither of us knows what to make of it or what to do about it we both think there's got to be some proper reason for it but neither of us can think of it it's just there getting on our nerves and winding us up and making us scared She catches me knocking back a beer later on and suddenly she flips out at me. How can you get drunk with everything that's going on? Christ, is that all you know how to do, get drunk? What do you want me to do? I can't find your fancy friend. I can't stop the noises. You wanted to move into this place. It was your amazing idea not mine. She picks up a tin can of nails and throws it at me. I know she has a temper, but Jesus, she suddenly now wants to kill me. For fuck's sake, I shout at her. I swear she's about to throw a hammer at me when suddenly there's a huge racket from upstairs. It's as if all the doors have slammed shut at once. She shrieks and drops the hammer. They start slamming in rhythm, like beating drums. What the fuck is going on, I shout. I can't take this anymore, she screams. She picks the hammer back up and goes up the stairs. I run after her. This is getting really weird now. This is no random thing. Someone's got to be doing it. It's like tribal. It's really loud. It's really frightening. Someone doesn't like us being here and they want us out. She goes onto the first floor and starts shouting, Come on, come out. What do you want? The sound stops the second we're off the stairs. Evie, we should go. I don't want to stay in this place. She ignores me. If only for once she'd fucking listened. I don't know what's doing this, she says. But I'm going to find you. I don't know what you want, but this is our place now. We've got rights it was silent for a moment what's the matter show yourself he was still silent then a door creaks it was just down the hall on the left the door just opened up a little evie thunders over there she kicks the door open and goes inside. I go after her. I look in, and she's there spinning around with the hammer raised, ready to knock someone's head in. But she can't find anyone. The room's empty. There's not a thing in there. There's just her. Evie, I said. There's no one here. She stopped spinning. She stared at me, angry. Breathing heavily, her mouth dropped open. She was about to say something to me. Then the door slammed shut. I shouted at her. I tried to push it open. I wrenched the door handle. It was jammed. It was stuck. I couldn't get it open. I banged on the door. I punched the door. It wouldn't open. I kept shouting at her. I couldn't hear her. She wasn't banging on the door on the other side. She wasn't trying to get it open. Why wasn't she trying to get it open? I slammed it with my shoulder. It didn't budge. I did it again. It came open easy. I fell down on my knees. She was gone. The room was empty again. No sign of Evie. I yelled for her. There wasn't any answer. I didn't get it. How could it happen? There was no way out. I've checked. She'd vanished. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. How how could this happen? I ran about looking for her, floor by floor, shouting her all the time. I didn't know what to do. She just vanished. I got all the way up to the top. Still no sign of her. I just didn't know what to do. It was like some magician had pulled a trick on me. Girlfriend vanishes from room. Figure that one out as if I'm fucking Jonathan Creek. My heart was beating. I was desperate and I was lost. I'd searched that place each floor from top to bottom again. And there was nothing else to try. I started searching each floor one after the other again and again, going through every room, floor after floor. It was like a maze. I couldn't tell one floor from the next. I went up and I went down and it was never the same. I couldn't even tell you how far it went up. It sounds mental, but I'm not even sure there were four floors anymore. I just kept going up and I went down and I went back up again. I couldn't get my bearings. She was gone and I was lost. It went dark outside. I still didn't know what to do. I was just wandering from one side to another through one door after another until I saw I wasn't alone. I heard someone walking across the floor. I turned around and there was a man there. It wasn't Evie. They were dressed all in black. They were tall. That's all I saw. They had a torch and they shined it right in my eyes. I panicked. and ran for it. I legged it down the stairs and out into the street. I think I thought they were following me. I'm pretty sure now that they weren't, but I wasn't taking any chances. I got lost. I didn't know that part of town yet. And I just flipped out, you know. I didn't know what was going on. I was pretty sure we'd been rumbled. The owners had twig we were there, or some security company. Not the cops, they'd have made too much noise. I didn't know what to do, Evie had vanished. That factory had swallowed her up. And now there were people there. Maybe they'd vanished too. I was too scared to go back. Not right away. I was tired, I was lost. I ended up just sitting and sleeping in this doorway to some old offices. It rained, but I managed to stay dry. I didn't sleep much and I got kicked out early by some cleaner. I wandered the streets for a few hours. I didn't have any money. My wallet was back at the factory. I had to go back. I found my way to somewhere I recognised, and I made my way from there, sticking to streets I knew. I looked the place over from out the front. It looked just the same as it did always. Dirty red brick, windows all boarded up, doors barred. Still four floors. Nothing looked like it had changed from the outside. I went round the back. The door looked like it did before. It opened like it did before. Whoever had found us there hadn't sealed the place back up yet. Squatter's notice was gone, but that could have just been the rain washing it away. I went inside. It was quiet. I searched through the place. I checked our room. Evie wasn't there. I checked Kieran's place. He still wasn't there. It's just like it was before. Nothing's been moved or kicked about. No one's touched anything. So the only place to go is back up. I was so scared. I could feel my heart thumping against my chest. And the second I put my foot on that first stair, the noise starts. Door slamming shut. Opening and closing upstairs now like ticking clocks. I almost turn back. I almost can't hack it. But then I think of Evie and I've got to go on in case I can find her. I shout her name. There's no answer. The noise, it just continues. So I go back up to the first floor and the search goes on like it did before. Room by room. Nothing. Nothing over and over and over again. There are no doors banging there. It sounds like it's the floor above, so I grit my teeth and I go up to the second floor. No doors banging there either. It's coming from the floor above. I look and I find nothing. I go to the third floor. The doors are all quiet there. It's coming from the fourth floor. That's why it must sound louder, because I'm getting closer. I go the rounds again, still no Evie. Then, I go to the fourth floor, and now everything's quiet. There's no noise. There's no sound. There are more doors on the fourth floor. At least there was that time. It leads you into a long corridor of them. I walk down that corridor. All the doors are open. I can see into the rooms, and they're all empty. I start crying, and I say, Evie, where are you? All the doors slam shut at once. I jump off my feet, practically shit myself. I run for the stairs, I pelt it down, but then some way down I slip and roll down most of a flight and land on my back on a landing. I'm hurting. It's all quiet again, and there's no noise, and I'm just lying there on my back, all banged up. My heart's beating, and I'm out of breath, and I'm in pain, and I'm scared. But nothing was happening, so I just lay there. I didn't know what to do, and my chest hurt, and my back hurt. As I lay there, I find myself staring at this beam of light. It's coming in from a crack between the boards over one of the windows. Just a slim ray of light, but just enough for me to see, floating in the air, these little specks. I'm lying on my back, and I follow the dust with my eyes. They're little flecks of paint. They've come from something I've not seen before. I never got used to those floors. But I could see something I'd not seen. And that was a crack. A crack in the wall. I got myself up and I walk over to it. I actually hear it crack and I jump back. The line is straight, vertical. And it goes up to the top and then across and then back down again. It's a doorway. Another door. It's hidden beneath the plaster. Someone's painted over a door. I pick at the plaster with my fingers. But that's too slow and I cut myself. Instead, I made a little hole and went downstairs to one of the crowbars. I rammed it in the hole and worked the panel loose. There's a stiff board there but it doesn't seem like it's been nailed on too tight to shift. Not many nails, anyway. As the board comes away from the wall and more paint cracks and falls, this smell starts to come out. This sticky, horrible smell. I crow the board far enough away from the doorway that I can get my hands behind. I pull and get loads of splinters and dry paint in my face. I give it another go and I feel it give. I pull it down and let it fall. As it goes down, arms fall around my neck. It's Evie. She lands right in my arms and pushes me to the floor. She's naked. She's been beaten black and blue. She's covered in bruises. Her face is swollen out of shape. Her eyes are open. She's cold. She's dead. I shake her, I try to wake her up, but she's gone. I know she's gone, there's no life in her, no breathing, no moving. Then I feel that smell all over me. I look up, I look into that room. It's full of bodies. Dead people, propped up, lined up against the walls. At least a dozen of them there, dead. Decaying, that smell. That fucking horrible smell. I just ran again. I left poor Evie there. What the fuck had they done to her? I didn't dare go back in. I was too scared. I went and I told the police. i never walked into a police station voluntarily before. But they took one look at me in the state I'm in and they just figure I'm some junkie. Some layabout off his fucking head. I shout at them. I never go at them tell them about the bodies and eventually they call up the owners and ask nicely if they can have a look around. They chuck me out, tell me to come back later. So I go back to my cousins, but bitch face won't let me in. So I end up back at the villas and they take me in for the night. I go back to the police station the next day, wait an hour and get told there was nothing at the factory and get told to piss off. I flip out and they chuck me out. I went out and back to the factory later, drunk, because I'd never have had the courage otherwise. Locks were changed, doors sealed again. Proper cover-up, like it's never happened. Police never did shit. I went to four fucking stations. and none of them did a fucking thing. I went back to the villas and told them, but they didn't believe me either. They thought I'd taken too much acid and flipped. And when they heard Kieran had gone too, they thought they'd fucked off together, and I'd gone off my head, and no one was fucking listening to me. I spent time living on the street after that. I got chucked out at the villas for drinking and fighting, and I did a lot of drinking after that. <laughs> didn't stop for about 15 years. I heard even his parents tried to find me at one point, but what did I have to tell them? Stupid old junkie like me. She just disappeared and no one cared. All she wanted to do was help people. What did I ever do that was any fucking good? Thank you for listening to the New Ghost Stories podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast and would like to support what I do, please consider leaving a review on any platform and subscribing to hear future releases. You can also become a patron and enjoy some bonus content by signing up at patreon.com slash newghoststories. Today's story features in the book New Ghost Stories Volume 3, which is available from Amazon, Apple Books, and other book retailers. This podcast is written, presented, and produced by David Paul Nixon. If you'd like to find out more about New Ghost Stories, visit my website newghoststories.substack.com and to get all the latest from me, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at new ghost stories next time on the new ghost stories podcast spiders lots and lots of spiders